You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. It's been uh, said that good speakers tell you what they're going to say, then they say it, then they tell you what they just said. <laughs> if, you, if you didn't get that, uh, it says that good speakers right, tell you what they're going to say, and they say it, then they tell you what they just said. <laughs> so, today, we're going to talk about how the first church was born, why people needed it then, why we still need it today, and then I'm going to tell you one thing you can do to ensure that we continue being the kind of church that has what people need. Deal? Did you get all that? I can say it again if you'd like. I'm going to say it anyway, so I'm going to say it several times. So I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles, uh, if, you, if you have a Bible on your phone, whatever. It will, it'll be on the screen as well, but if you'd like to follow along, you can do that. We'll be in Acts chapter 2. And as we pick up the story, uh, and we're going to pick it up, uh, Jesus, just to kind of give you context of where we're kind of entering in the story, because there's a whole lot of history, but Jesus has just been crucified resurrected and ascended. So all that's kind of just happened. So Jesus just, you know, reappears to all his followers. You know, this has been just a whirlwind and he goes up to heaven, right? And now there's about 120 people, believers of Jesus, followers, who are kind of gathered. Um, and they're, if you can imagine, like, yourself being in that room and wondering, like, what just happened, right? Like, you were just going about life. And then for the last three years of your life, the world's kind of been like flipped upside down. There's like this guy named Jesus who was telling you all sorts of stuff. And it was a lot to process. And then he got killed. And then he came back to life. And it was like, what? And now he's gone again. And you're like, I don't understand what is happening. You know, it's kind of like when, when COVID first hit. We were kind of like disoriented. You're not sure like what just happened. Trying to process it all. Um, so that's what happened. you got about 120 people that are gathered in this room, and they don't know what to do, and so they're just sort of asking God for help. They're just praying, and they're just like, God, help. I don't understand anything <laughs> right now. Um, and in that moment, God shows up in the form of the Holy Spirit, um, and it's just this powerful experience, and the people are so stirred by the presence of God that they walk outside, and they just start preaching about Jesus. They just start talking about Jesus. And it says that they're... Their preaching was so compelling that about that day in the city of Jerusalem, about 3,000 people were like, we believe and we're in. Like, that's crazy, right? 120 people have no idea what's going on. God shows up because they're like, help. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, God is, he's now with us. Even though Jesus isn't here, God is still with us. And there's sort of this whole world. And they just go out and start talking and says 3,000 people believe. It's this incredible time in history, and out of that experience, the first church was born. Now, you know, historically, the people of God always had a place, tabernacle, but this was the first that we know of as church. And in the book of Acts, uh, Luke wrote it, and so he was a doctor, and he captures what those first few days and weeks looked like. So we're in Acts chapter 2. That's kind of what's just happened, and we're picking up the story in verse 42. Okay, and it'll be on the screen behind me. It says this, all the believers devoted themselves to all the believers. That would mean 3,120. <laughs> all right, so we're going to add them. All, right, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, 
and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the, all the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved every single day. Not just like some days, every day. Let's take a moment and pray. God, we ask that you would help us to understand what our ancestors in the faith did, why they did it, and what that means for us here today. Amen. Amen. So the people of the first church devoted themselves to four actions, four things, four specific actions. You may have heard me talk about this before if you've been in any of our discovery classes and things, but I'm going to break it down a little bit differently today. But four things, teaching, fellowship, communion, prayer. Four things. That's what they devoted themselves to, teaching, fellowship, communion, prayer. And so we're going to explore why. Right? I'm telling you in advance what I'm going to do. We're going to, we're going to explore why. So first they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the teaching. How many of you love school? You just love to learn. Yep, like everybody else, you know. Weirdos. No, it's all good. It's all good. We could probably have a competition for degrees in here. I know some of you have lots of them. But the people intentionally set aside time to learn and to be taught by those who had known Jesus. The apostles are those people who had kind of walked with Jesus for the last three years. So they've kind of been really close with Jesus. And so these are now teaching everybody else. Okay, well, this is what we taught, is what we learned, right? So they're teaching. So here's the question. Why are they sitting and learning? Like, why go to school for this stuff? Um, and here's just a thought. Imagine spending your entire life growing up being told one thing is like, this is how life is. Your entire life, you've grown up being told, this is what's right. And then one day, you find out that that's not the whole story. It's not necessarily wrong, but there's a whole lot more. You may have even had that experience in your life <laughs> where you've grown up believing something, and then somewhere along the way, you understood, oh, there's more to this story. That wasn't the whole thing. And you have this moment where you go, huh, what else don't I know? Right? Because if, if I made all those assumptions, maybe I've made others. <laughs> okay? And so most of the people that were among that crowd of 3,120 had grown up under Jewish law. And they were being taught that the only way to please God was to do these things, to follow this code, do the rules, do the things, follow this. And now they're hearing that God is actually more concerned with their heart than with what they're actually, just what they're doing. Not that he ignores what they're doing, but that their heart matters more. That's a huge change. Yes, right? That's like so, so different. Um, like in school, you know, if a teacher's like, hey, it's not just your grades, it's also how you're treating all your classmates. And you're like, whoa, 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 what? I, I just thought I had to, to do the tests. And they're like, actually, we've been watching the whole time how you... You know, how you are in the lunchroom and how you are in lines. And you're like, okay, uh, I might be in trouble, right? 
it's a huge change. And now because of Jesus, all these rules are sort of like, like what? And it's a lot to process. And so for these people, now how do you worship without sacrificing animals? Like that's what? How do you, how do you pray without a script? And how do you live among people that think we're crazy? <laughs> Because we're not following the rules just like they're following the rules. And what's my responsibility to the people around me now? Because now that I know this, am I obligated to tell people this? Or, or is it just like, you know, hey, you find out on your own? This was an entirely brand new way of life. Their world had changed. And not only were they new people, but every single day the world was changing too. Right? We all know that the world today is not what it was a year ago. Not what it was two years ago. Certainly not what it was ten years ago. How faith looked for our ancestors is no longer how faith looks today. It looks different. And following Jesus makes us new people who are continually experiencing a new world, a changing world. So they devoted themselves to teaching because they didn't know what was going on. <laughs> this is like uh, disorienting. They needed to learn more because they want to integrate what I'm learning with my everyday life, and I don't know how this fits. I'm, I'm, my job didn't change. Technically, nothing changed. I'm the same person in the same community with the same people, but now everything up here and in here is different. How do I make this work? So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching because they had to orient to this new way of living. We still need that. Yes? Like, has that changed? Is the world changing? Only every day, right? Bob was showing me his phone today, right? It's a brand new phone, crazy cameras. It's got like five lenses on the back. It'll be obsolete next month. <laughs> Sorry, Bob. <laughs> I know, you get two-year plans, but right? Everything constantly changes. Like I was, you just, you think, oh, we figured it out, and tomorrow something new, and the next day something new. We're new, we're understanding new, constantly anew. So part of the, or the reason for the early church was to devote themselves to teaching because they had to figure out how to live. Nothing's changed. Second, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Fellowship means uh, community. It's really what it means. It's relationships. It's just people to do life with. Because they chose to believe in Jesus, many of those people would have been abandoned or ostracized by their families. You're going to believe in Jesus? Cut off. How dare you abandon our family faith? Who do you think you are? I don't even know you. You're no son to me. You're no daughter to me. Right? Mom, Dad, what's wrong with you? You're making us look weird in front of all our friends. So they're rejected now. And in that society, community was everything. Right? So if you're a carpenter, right, who you did business with, was dependent on your relationships. And if people don't like you, they go to another carpenter. All right, This was costly. It affected their everyday experience. So you've got all these people that are trying to orient to this new world, try to understand this, and all of their people around them, they're just they're losing friends left and right. And so what do they need? They need people. So guess what they formed? They formed a community. Hey, we're, we're the outcasts. Collectively. We're the people who believe this is true. We're not willing to give up on it, but we know we can't do this alone. I need, I need people around me. I need people around me. See, 
The irony is that in our world, often our deepest pain comes from people. We're broken in relationship. It's because of relationships that we're broken. But it's also the true that we are healed in relationship. Right? The remedy for our people pain is people who will love us. But everything inside us, when people hurt us, wants to isolate and avoid and stay away because it takes so much trust and vulnerability. And that's why the first church devoted themselves to fellowship because they needed people. It's the highest form of relationship because fellowship isn't like family. Like family, you're like, yeah, we're blood. I have to like you. I have to tolerate you, right? Like whatever, right? And, and th then there's your friends, right? And there's certain things there. But even friendship has limits of what we will and won't do. But fellowship? Fellowship says whenever, whatever, however, I'm with you. I will sacrifice for you. I choose. I willingly lay down. Because of what's been done for me, I will do this for you. It's the highest form of relationship. It fully embraces others. It's true phileo in, in that word, that Greek word for love, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. That's where that that uh, prefix comes from. It's that the, word, the Greek word phileo, and it means that brotherly love, that sense of deep love for someone, not in a romantic way, but in, a, in that family way, in that bond uh, for life, right? And that's what the church is. It's people saying, hey, our pain has brought us together. Our, 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 our vision, our hope has brought us together. Our understanding of the world, that's what's brought us together. We are not just here because, eh, we just happen to live here. No, we believe in this, and that makes us unique. It makes it special. In a new day, as new people, they needed others who were also being made new to walk alongside of. So they devoted themselves to fellowship. We still need people. Yeah? We still need each other. And listen, I'm, just to be honest with you, I'm going to be a little candid through this, so I may not have a lot of filters, so I apologize in advance if I seem a little edgy on this one. It's just... It's, life's too short to not say things. Um, I'm not interested in, <laughs> in a church that just plays games. I don't want to just say this stuff and not live it out. Right? We, have to, we have to make these kind of commitments to each other. You'll see on these signs, I believe the best in you. I won't give up on you. Uh, I'll give you what I have. I will go with you. Those are the commitments we make to each other and we mean those and I mean those and I hope that if you are part of this church you will take that seriously it's not just a, a service to come attend nobody needs that if you want that go to a concert you can do that a bunch of people have a great time leave and you have no obligation to anybody else but when you come in here we're making commitments to each other so they devoted themselves to teaching to fellowship and they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread to communion this is great. In that culture, to eat together meant, right, if you're going to eat a meal with somebody, that means you're good. Like, if I have an issue with you and we eat, like, lunch together, I will never be able to bring it up again because I'm telling you by our breaking bread together that we're good, I've forgiven you, I've let it go, we're past it, right? Water under the bridge, it's, it's gone. So to eat with someone meant that you were in right relationship with them. You would not literally put food in your mouth till you had dealt with it. So if you were eating, you were telling everybody around, we're good. So, 
Jews didn't eat with Gentiles, and there was all these sort of rules that went on back then. But they devoted themselves to this breaking of bread with whoever was at the table. Whoever. This was revolutionary. (laughs) When we share communion, right, we're charged with remembering what Jesus did on the cross. And that's what it was. It wasn't just a meal. This was that communal meal, the sense of we're having communion. We're remembering what Jesus did for us, that guess what? We're all sinners. Guess what? It doesn't matter how old, how young, how rich, how poor. It doesn't matter where you came from or where you're going. We're all sinners. Communion is the absolute greatest equalizer in the world because it says we all need grace. And Jesus gave it to us all. There's no hierarchy. There's nothing like that. We live in a stratified culture in this sort of almost a sense of a caste type system in our, in our, right? We know, we know what neighborhood you live in. We know what cars you drive. We know what you do for a job. And we judge and we put people in places based on what they do. But communion, when part of a church, you walk in the doors and it does not, your titles go away. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how much, guess what? I don't care how, some of you make a lot more money than others. Some of you have a lot more wisdom than others. Some of you have a lot more ability than others. Nobody can lift as much as Stephen. I don't think anybody in the room can lift as much as Stephen. I would like to see somebody try. He, it's on Instagram, I, I've seen it. Um, doesn't matter. Because in here, we're all equal. Because when we come together, it reminds us we have humility. Because it's all about what Jesus has done for us. It's not about who we are. It's not about us. The first church refused to accept what their culture was saying. Everybody had a seat at the table. It was incredible. It was this gift that they would give each other. So they got together again for teaching. They got together for for fellowship. They got together for communion. And finally, they devoted themselves to prayer. I've told this story, but years ago, our family, after church one, I believe it was one night, uh, we were driving back home to Lawrence along Route 1, and we went to pull into our favorite place, Stewart's Root Beer, and we were going to go get food. It was awesome. You pull up, and they park, and they put, bring food to your you know, trays and hook them on your window, and you can get you know, frosted cups of root beer. It was awesome, and all the you know, hot dogs. It was, it was a great time, and um, my dad was driving, and he went to pull in, and somebody pulled through because uh, there were two spots, and they pulled through, and they parked in the spot he was going to pull in. Right? He was furious. He left. We were like, Dad, just find another spot. <laughs> Stewart's didn't do this. Uh, um, Mom, did he ever go back? I don't, think he, I don't think the rest of his life, he never went back. <laughs> ever. You all know what it's like to deal with somebody who's got their mind made up about something, whether it's rational or not. You know people that have just made up their mind. You're not going to change it. You can try, but you're going to waste your energy. See, when a mind is made up, it's virtually impossible to change it. And it's true even when we wish we could change someone's mind. Perhaps you've tried to convince a family member to, to you know, think about God or to come to church or to, you know, to pray with you. Or you've tried to convince your coworker that God is good when life seems like anything but. Right? There are these times where you've tried to convince people. And if someone has their mind made up, you just can't change that. Well, that's as true today as it was back then. Even the people who heard Jesus directly, the people who were literally standing in front of Jesus, watching him do miracles, even they 
were divided. Some simply couldn't make up their mind that he was who he said he was. And it didn't matter how clear it was that something extraordinary was happening. Some people just said, I don't believe it. So what does that have to do with prayer? Well, you see, prayer makes the impossible possible. These people had family and friends that they had lost. But they knew what was at stake because they were learning and understanding. And they, they, they weren't angry at everybody for abandoning them. They were praying for them. They were praying for their neighbors. They were praying for their friends and their, and their grandparents and their cousins. And they were praying for anybody and everybody saying, God, help them to know what we have come to know. Not that we're better. Not that we're anything special. But that we all just need you and that you are good. And so they prayed. And God did what couldn't be done and he changed minds. And every single day, God was changing minds. Every single day. Because the people prayed. Because the people prayed. Because God does what you can't do. He opens eyes that can't see and opens ears that can't or won't hear. He restores feeling to broken hearts. And here's the thing, God still can do anything. And that's why we pray. So those four actions, teaching, fellowship, communion, prayer, still why churches make differences in the community. It's the same thing. We still need to learn how to live in this world, in an ever-changing world as we understand who God is. We still need each other because we need people to do this with. We still need that constant reminder that it's not about me. It's all about Jesus and we're all equal in this. And we need to pray. So part of the intention with this series was to sort of renew our vision for this church to say, why are we doing this? Let's remind ourselves, in case we've forgotten, let's remind ourselves. Because over time, you know what vision does? It fades. It just simply fades. You get an idea, and over time, you, and you just sort of forget. And one of the most helpful ways of ensuring that our vision is clear is to ask this question. What would happen if there was no church? What would happen if there was no church? What if we weren't here, right? What's at stake if there was no life tree? Who, who would miss us? Remember that question? If we closed our doors tonight and never opened up again, who'd miss us? Now, I could try and answer that for you, but I'm not going to because we had another idea. We actually reached out to a few people in our church and asked them that exact question. We first asked them to share a time when the church made a difference in their life. And then we asked them to talk about what might their life be like had there not been a church. So... These are their answers. Take a moment and watch. We were actually away at a youth conference and one of my best friends died in a car accident. Um, and being 16 years old, you think you're invincible. So like that was, it rocked my world and everything felt like it was falling. And the only constant that I could find was my church and my church family um, and being there just helped me feel grounded it helped me figure out why the things that happened happened I was at a point in my life where I needed to learn something about myself in a biblical way and didn't really know it. What I learned there is that my my true love and gifting and passion was finance. I don't know that I would have ever really recognized that as a gifting. So the past couple 
couple years, there's been a lot of losses in my life. Um, lost both of my parents, my marriage fell apart, um, and then we had to move out of our family home uh, where my children grew up. And since then, moved a couple more times, and then during the moves, my dog died suddenly. So there's been a lot of uncertainties um, in my life and my family. But one constant um, refuge or rock has been um, Life Tree, and of course God. Um, just going to Saturday night services, um, just gathering together, praying together, worshiping together, and listening to Pastor Dan's messages. Mine is when I went through uh, my divorce. You know, I, I was young. I didn't know where to turn to, and I. You know, there's a lot of people I could have turned to outside the church, but I wanted to turn to people that I knew had made it through and that had similar goals in mind. If they wanted to be, they wanted to be pleasing to God, they wanted you know good things to happen and not just uh, believe in happenstance. So I was able to really depend on the people at our church um, to really give me good counsel. Uh, 2016, I moved from Delaware to uh, New Jersey. Uh, I didn't know anyone. I didn't know where the grocery store was. I didn't know where the doctor's offices were. And uh, of course, I didn't have a church. Uh, so I was feeling a little bit lost, a little bit lonely, um, a little bit angry at myself, perhaps by making wrong mistakes. Uh, as I went through this whole process, did I do it too fast or whatever? But that's where I was, and it was not pleasant got out into my community and started meeting a person here, a person there. Uh, I met a couple who had a small group and uh, they invited me to it. I found that these were people that I could enjoy being with. I'm not so sure I was thinking church at the time. Uh, I was thinking as neighbors, as friends. Uh, and guess what, they were. But they also were with the church. The biggest change in my life was probably having a goal. Okay, uh, later on I learned, to learn, learned that this was, quote, my purpose. Um, but those were words I didn't use before, before Life Tree. But uh, I had a place to go, I had something to do, I had someone to be with, I had a reason, I had a reason to live. And there for a long time I didn't, so. I feel like most of my friendships would be very shallow. There's only much, there's only so much you can really um, grab onto and learn from with friendships that don't have some type of intimacy and some type of maybe spiritual basis. I'd be a really different person right now. When you guys knew me, you probably don't know this, um, but I was actually pretty depressed. Um, if you don't know, um, I do suffer from bipolar disorder and I was kind of miserable. Like outwardly I was doing all of the things, but internally I was really struggling. So, what would my life look like without church? So most of my life, I didn't attend church. Um, I was doing things in my own will, 
doing it my way, praying once in a while when I needed something. Um, so I heard a quote a while back, um, and it was like a ship without a sail, tossed to and fro with no direction. And I thought I was doing okay, but since Life Tree and um, you know, keep growing my relationship with God, um, it's better. It's doing it, um, doing it God's way is much better than my way. Um, but it's not just enough to attend church. You have to always guard your heart. I would feel kind of lost, um, not just in like a in a spiritual sense, but like it is where we find our friend base, you know, when, after going to so many places where we don't have friends or family. Um, it is something that as a constant in the ways that we've moved has been a pivotal part in friendships for us because we know that the people there we have something in common with. I probably would have moved somewhere, even away from my children. Maybe I'd have ended up back home. When I say home, I say Indiana. But that's not a happy place. I would have kept searching. But I'm more afraid of the fact that I would have given up. You know, when, when you don't have a reason to keep going and something to look forward to, you give up. Being able to go somewhere and to be with people and to be with the church and to worship God um, on one accord just kind of makes your spirit feel something different. It's not just about improving yourself and what you want to do and what your passions are, but what has God gifted you with and how can you use that for the local church, for the area that you live in, your community, but also the kingdom, right? Like always being kingdom-minded. What does God want me to do with this? How does this expand his reach um, in our world today? And that's that's huge for me. Messages from Summer of Songs was how to not only survive, but thrive in the wilderness was to actively seek God by going to church, um, reading the Bible. So people need, I, I, I think a lot of people are, um, going through some sort of wilderness of their own. Um, and I think people, a lot of people need to hear that. And I think that's why church matters. Can you do life without church? You can, right? I'm not gonna sugarcoat that, but living life more successfully. And I don't mean wealth and all that. I mean, just having someone to do life with maybe and other people to do life with, I think makes that road, uh, this race, you know, so much more substantial and so much more meaningful when we're doing it with people. You know, it's not just me alone trying to do the best that I can for me. I really think that living life outside of yourself is really the key to that, and that's what the local church allows you to do. It's filled with love. It is truly filled with love. It's filled with direction it's filled with empowerment if you have questions about religion it's it's filled with just everything because it's a sharing and a caring a love all right i just want to thank everybody yeah can we just give it thank everybody who participated in that so let me ask you right what's your story
What difference has the church, and not just Life Tree, but just Big C, any church, what difference has the church made in your life? Um, where might you be without it? Just think about that for a moment. Where would you be without a community of faith? And the reason I ask that is because this church matters. What we're doing here, it matters. It's not just, not just trying to you know, occupy time or you know, do all the religious things. Our mission is to help people grow from root to fruit, to really help people gain that foundational, like the roots are what keep you vertical. There's a hurricane in Florida right now. What keeps the trees up is the roots. It's that faith. That's what anchors you. And, but life's not just about being strong. It's also about what can you give, being fruitful, about what you give to others. So it's from root to fruit. That's our mission. And I just want to encourage you, there are literally lives on the line. Uh, as we identified last week, there are people all around us who are surrounded by abundance, yet they're missing the most important thing, and that's a relationship with the God who loves them and made them and has so much good for them. So, so what? So here you go. I told you I'm going to tell you one thing you can do to ensure that we continue to be a church that matters. And uh, so this is sort of our action step here. And I'm not sure how many of you know this. This is a very practical thing. So it's very like, you might be like, oh, that's not where I thought this was going. But it is where I'm going. Um, I don't know how many of you know how the church works, but we are uh, fully supported by you, by your giving. When you give to the church, your tithes specifically, the tithe supports the church. We don't receive money as a church here from anybody else. There's no outside organizations giving to, to LifeTree. We're entirely dependent on your faithful giving. And now imagine uh, for a second there are two buckets, okay? So one bucket, this is my father-in-law, always loves the bucket things and it works for me. One, one is tithes and the other is offerings, okay? Tithes are used to support the work of LifeTree. Um, it's all of our operating expenses. Everything that is given to tithes goes towards operating expenses. So that's like rent being here. This costs money. I don't know if you know that. They charge us to be here. Like the sound system that you see, right? The food, if you had water, if you had a mint, if you've gotten a bag, okay? The, the signs, everything that we do uh, for anything. The website that you checked information on, okay? Um, the cameras that, set, you know, <laughs> capture this so that you can watch it when you don't come, which for a lot of people is a lot of time um, when you don't come. So all that stuff. Insurance. There's insurance. If you slip and fall and you want to sue us, we've got insurance for that. Um, uh, it's also for our small groups, for branches, for rooted youth, and for treehouse kids, and everything that's going on in those rooms. For the times that we're available to have phone numbers, that if people call and we say, hey, we can help out for funerals, for weddings, for what people need. All the life that comes out of this that is supported by you make that all happen. Offerings are for everything else we do, right? Operating expenses, everything that's life tree comes out of the tithe. Um, and the point I want to make is this. When you tithe, it makes all of that possible. That's it. I don't want to talk about that God says you should, and it's stewardship, and I can quote all these scriptures that talk about the tithe is God's, because listen, that's all true, and that's all out there, and we've talked about that before. It's not simply about being obedient. Tithing is an obedient act. God says tithe, is, there's, there's not really any, we can talk about that later if you want, email me. Um, but what, what we're talking about today is this, when you give, you are participating in the mission of God to love people. 
That's what I just want to connect the dots for, that you are providing your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, you are providing this community with access to a God who loves them. When you support this church, that's what you do. Tithing is not a have to. We've talked about it. You don't have to do anything. There is nothing that's a have to. If you study the scriptures, it's clear tithing is introduced by God. It's affirmed by Jesus. Right? It has a wide array of consequences that are all good. But I don't want you to hear that you should tithe because God said so. What I hope you hear is this. When you give, lives are changed. That's it. All this stuff. Like, think about how your life has been changed. The reason your life was changed is because somebody gave to a church somewhere. That's just how it works. There's a direct line between your giving and the eternal destinies of the people that live around us. We're not in the business of saving money. (laughs) We're in the life-changing business. Um, So, um, if you tithe... If you tithe, and, and again, if you tithe, uh, keep doing it. Keep doing it. And here's what I just want to tell you. Don't keep tithing, but keep changing lives. Just keep changing lives. Keep being the church. And I hope this message encourages you that your giving is making a difference, that your obedience to God, your faithfulness is making a difference. They're having eternal consequences. And if you have yet to take that step, maybe you used to tithe and stop, maybe you've never heard about it, um, maybe you've purposefully chosen not to tithe. I don't know where you, but today is a brand new day. There you go. Today is a brand new day. And I don't want to say, listen, this message is not directed at anybody. Um, I can look at you honestly because I have no idea what anybody in this church gives. I never know, and I've never known for 12 years. It's not, I'm not, I'm, this, I, I'm, this, I'm not saying this to people to be like, okay, I hope they respond, and let's see what happens in the next week. It's not that, okay? Um, and this is not a plea for money. This, this is... Uh, it's not like, hey, the church is hard up. Pastor Dan, can you pray? You know, talk about money. No, that's not it. Um, this is not about money at all. God has actually never been about money. It's always been about our heart. It has nothing to do with dollars and cents. This is about what goes on on the inside. And my goal is simply to ensure that we understand what's at stake, and what happens when we give, and what difference it makes. This church matters, plain and simple. End of the day, this church matters. Your giving makes it possible. And my prayer is that we'll have the kind of love in our hearts that leads us to be faithful in our giving, not because we should, but because we want to, because we believe in it. And the best part is that when we see the difference this church makes, when we hear stories like that, guess what? Everybody who's given, you know what? You were part of that. Your giving made that happen. We get deep joy knowing we're part of changing lives. God loves his church. He calls it his bride. And when we make what he cares about, what we care about, you can be sure that he'll make what you give count. (laughs) We get to be part of changing lives every day. And the truth is, I don't ever want to know the actual answer to that question, what happened if our church wasn't here? I don't ever want to know that answer. It was the famous preacher, D.L. Moody, who said, the world is yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. And by God's help, I aim to be that man. That's what D.L. Moody said. And I want to tweak it just a little bit. He says this, the world has yet to see what God can do with a church fully devoted to him. And by God's help, we aim to be that church. 
I love how Luke captures the atmosphere here. A deep sense of awe came over them all. See, because as we keep doing our part, we can have confident hope that God's going to do his. God is a God who inspires awe and wonder, and there's nothing like being part of a church that changes lives. So as we close, I'm going to invite the team back up. And uh, I just want to invite you, as they come, just to take a moment and think about your story. Think about the difference that churches, people of the church, have made in your life. Listen, I know not all of it's good. Churches are full of people, <laughs> right? We understand that churches are not perfect places. They, they are filled with people. That's, right? people. I've heard some say, you know, church would be great if it wasn't for the people. Eh, you, need, you need the people. Um, but as we begin, just play music for just, just a few moments here. I just want you to maybe just get alone with God right in your seat and just say, okay, God, what are you saying to me today? What are my next steps? What do I need to do to respond? Again, it can be with tithing. It can be with telling people. There are people that need to learn how to integrate their lives with faith. They need to, they need to learn. They need to grow. They need to be accessing the teaching. There are people that just, they need fellowship. They need somebody to walk through this life with. Is God telling you to, to go walk with somebody? To invite somebody into this community? Is there somebody that you know that needs to experience the grace of communion? To understand that their sins are forgiven? That they don't owe anymore? And that they are, they are brothers and sisters? There's no hierarchy in this life that we are all together. It's God prompting your heart to pray for someone. Perhaps an impossible situation. Listen, that's the best kind of prayer. God is not intimidated by big prayers. One pastor said he's offended by anything less. So before we rush out of here, just for a minute, I know we're a little, little long, but just for a minute, would you just let God speak to you right where you are? Thank you.